0: Whether it's the Sherlock Holmes tour in London, the night helicopter flight over Las Vegas, or whitewater rafting in the Grand Canyon, whatever you're into, you'll find an experience you love. Discover and book your next unforgettable travel experience at GetYourGuide.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell tech Fest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech.
2: AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled.
0: This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History class. Let's go places. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. And uh, today we have a topic that in, in, some of you listening might, uh, might might have just read the title about the school to prison pipeline. And you, you might be a little little cautious about it, But uh, but trust us. This is a fascinating topic, and it ties directly into our subsequent topic that we'll publish next week. That's
4: right. We are taking a closer look at racial biases and how it shapes society. And in order to get into the mindset of today's show, let's all sort of do a little pretend imagination thing here. Imagine that you're lining up with other students, and about 20 steps in front of you, someone is holding a dollar bill. But okay. it's not just any dollar bill. I mean, this is the brass ring. This is the thing that's going to to determine who you're going to marry, what sort of job you're going to take, um, what sort of overall wealth you're going to amass, what your own health care um, access will be, and the level of your well-being, okay? It just determines where you're going to be in life, this dollar bill. So it's a really important dollar bill, okay? That's why everybody is lining up for it, all of these students. Now, imagine that before you can step forward, you discover that you have been scooted back about five steps because you live in, say, a poor community where you have little or no access to educational resources. Now imagine you look down and your skin is not white, but it is of color. Now you have been scooted back another five steps. Steps, because statistically, the experience you have in school is going to be different from the white kid who is now ten steps in front of you. So, when you hear "Ready, Set, Go," who do you think is going to get to that dollar bill first, that brass ring? Oh,
1: well, it's going to be the uh, the white kid.
4: It's the white kid, and unfortunately, um, that analogy is the reality of the education system today in the United States, and. Uh, that is setting up some some very serious ramifications for what's happening with student success. And in some ways, you might even say that it determines who is going to go on to college and who is going to go on to say maybe even a life of crime and poverty.
1: indeed and to and to, to reference the title of the podcast to prison into d- directly into the prison system. Uh, and uh, in the course in the United States, it goes without saying we have, Quite a prison system. Uh, As of 2014, U.S. prisons contain an all time high of 2.4 million people. That, by the way, exceeds the populations, entire populations of such countries as Qatar, Namibia, and Iceland.
4: Yeah, that's right. The U.S. has close to 25% of the world's prisoners even though the U.S. accounts for only 5% of the world's populations. And some point to the war on drugs as uh, one of the reasons why the U.S. prison population is so high. On September 30th, 2013, the end of the most recent fiscal year for which federal offense data were available, Ninety-eight thousand two hundred inmates—we're talking about fifty-one percent of the federal prison population—were imprisoned for possession, trafficking, or other drug crimes.
1: Yeah, and in fact, in the the federal prison system, more than half of those sentenced to stints of a year or longer are, are are still there for drug crimes. So,
4: yeah. Now, keep in mind that more than fifty percent of the U.S. prisoners are black and Hispanic. And when you look again at possession, trafficking, other drug crimes, now consider that about 14 million white people report using illicit drug as opposed to only 2.6 million African-Americans. And so there are five times as many whites using drugs as African-Americans, yet African-Americans are sent to prison for drug offenses at 10 times the rate of whites. And what you begin to see emerge here is this this story of inequality, um, and not just circumstance.
1: Indeed, I mean it's it's the same laws are on the books, but it's almost like they are, are two separate books of laws. Um, here are just a couple of more uh, factoids uh, that come, figures that come to us from uh, the NAACP. Um, African-Americans now constitute nearly one million of that total incarcerated population that we mentioned. Uh, African-Americans are incarcerated at nearly six times the rate of whites, and one in 100 African-American women are in prison.
4: So what if we told you that the cards had been stacked against this particular prison population from the get-go, and a lot of it had to do with education? Well, you might look at Brown versus the Board of Education and say, how can that be?
1: That's right. Now, uh, just to refresh... Brown versus Board of Education. We're talking about the landmark 1954 United States Supreme Court case in which the court declared state laws establishing separate, separate public schools for black and white students to be unconstitutional. of course, it would be a number of years before all segregated school systems uh, were desegregated, uh, but this was responsible. Uh, this Brown and Brown Two uh, were responsible for getting the process underway. Right. This was, and this is a moment in time that we still look back to and say, "This is when the the playing field, at least, is supposedly leveling out."
4: Right. Chief Justice Earl Warren had said, quote, in these days, it's doubtful that any child may reasonably be expected to succeed in life if he is denied the opportunities of an education. Such an opportunity where the state has undertaken to provide it is a right that must be made available on equal terms. Now, in a 2014 interview with The New York Times, Daniel J. Lozen, who is the director of the Center for Civil Rights Remedies at the University of California at Los Angeles's civil rights project said quote we here we are 60 years after brown versus board of education and the data altogether still show a picture of gross inequity and in educational opportunity so the bottom line is still separate and still unequal
1: even though we sort of dismantled this machine um, uh, of segregation we end up uh rebuilding the machine and uh and in 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 and in the end the machine uh, does kind of what it did before it's um, it's heartbreaking stuff but uh we're going to we're going to break down uh, exactly how all of this works
4: yeah and today's episode is ultimately about breakdown and failure, Mm -hmm. failure of a society to recognize its systems in place are so flawed that it's created this insidious atmosphere that is tantamount to a trap for a large segment of the population. And again, this is what we're calling the school to prison pipeline. And although we won't be able to cover this idea in its entirety because it's really vast and it's very complicated, we do intend to discuss aspects of this Acute inequality in education, and one that has created this metaphorical pipeline to crime and poverty.
1: Yeah, and, and again, it comes back to just like the basic idea of what school should be, right? Mm-hmm. That school is the launching pad for the rest of your life. It's it's your your education. You're forming uh, the tools that you're going to need to succeed, and uh, and and setting setting the baseline for for what you're going to be as an adult in society.
4: Yeah, and school is one of those things that everybody has these really robust, great utopian ideas of Mm -hmm. what it, it can be and should be. But when the, you know, the the rubber meets the road, the fact of the matter is it's just not living up to a lot of ideals. And the reason we know that is that we finally have data because last year the Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights conducted the first analysis in 15 years of the U.S. public schools and they found startling inequities. We're talking about 97,000 schools representing 49 million students. Now, if you are a white kid, if you are a Caucasian kid, you are probably going to get these offerings. In fact, 70% of white kids get these offerings. A full range of math and science courses, including algebra, biology, calculus, chemistry, geometry, and physics. And this really sets those students up for a, a pretty robust future, right? Because all of those classes, uh, in particular the science classes, are going to lend themselves to higher scores on SAT uh, tests. And it's also going to set them up for a career in STEM, right, Then the sciences, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics.
1: Yeah, those, those key STEM classes that, uh, that, that are so important, especially if you're, you're looking to enter a pipeline into a career uh, in, in some sort of a STEM discipline.
3: 2025 QX80 coming this summer.
1: All right, so like you said, 70% of white students uh, attend the classes with this full, full range of these math and science courses. How does that break down for black and Latino kids? Well... Uh, According uh, to to this uh, 15-year study, slightly more than half of all black students have access to the full range of math and science courses. Slightly more than two-thirds of Latinos uh, have access. And uh, and then if you look to Native American, Native Alaskan students, less than half of them are able to enroll in the the sort of high-level math and science courses that, again, are available to 70% of the the white uh, student population.
4: Now, the survey found that in terms of access to seasoned teachers for kids of colors, that black, Latino, American, Indian and Native Alaskan students are three times as likely as white students to attend schools with higher concentrations of first year teachers and black students are more than four times as likely as white students to attend schools where one out of every five teachers does not meet all state teaching requirements. And for Latino students, they're twice as likely. Now... One other statistic in here we're going to throw at you is that the teacher salary gap between high schools with the highest concentrations of black and Latino students and those with the lowest is more than $5,000 a year, meaning the incentive is not there for seasoned uh, teachers, really qualified teachers, to go to the schools that need them most.
1: So the end result here, I mean, it's pretty staggering, because basically we're talking about a situation where students of color simply do not have the same access to STEM classes that pave the way for a STEM career in science, technology, engineering, mathematics. And you typically have new, inexperienced teachers tackling low-income in African-American schools, the the, the the very teaching environments where you ideally w- would want to have an experienced educator, uh, someone with the, the necessary tools to tackle uh, these students and, uh, and and engage them. Um, and this is what uh, Daniel J. Lowson calls a gross inequity in educational opportunity. And I think there's there's no, there's no uh, more succinct way to say it. Um, like, the, the deck is stacked, and uh, it, you can get into a very long discussion about how that deck uh, comes to be so stacked, how much of it is intentional, how much of it is accidental, how much of it just comes of building this uh, current educational machine, this current school to prison pipeline, uh, without really looking at it for 15 years. Yeah,
4: because if you think about it, those first-year teachers are not just inexperienced. It's it's that they, they've lacked all of the additional courses that teachers get throughout their career. So mm-hmm. if you're a teacher with 15 years experience, it's not just that you've been teaching for 15 years. You've had additional instruction every single year in many different areas. And some of those areas may even be sensitivity, right? Um, so it's... It's really important to note that the students, again, that need these experience, really well-qualified teachers the most are not getting them. And if these students lack any sort of additional educational resources anyway, right, they might not have money to go and take extra courses to um, beef up on SAT questions, for instance, then they're really going to fall behind. So. This sort of data gives you an idea of the disparity in quality in terms of education. But what about the outcomes of the white kid versus the kid of color inside the actual school? Well, it turns out that racial bias is certainly at play here. Expulsion and suspension rates for black kids are, as you guessed it, quite a bit higher. A 2009-2010 study of 72,000 schools, kindergarten through high school, shows that while black students make up only 18% of those enrolled in the school sampled, they account for 35% of those suspended once, 46% of those suspended more than once, and 39% of all expulsions. And overall, black students were three and a half times more likely to be suspended or expelled than their white counterparts. And uh, this was interesting, too. Black girls were suspended at higher rates than all other girls and most boys.
1: And this leads right into the in-school arrest rate. And this is really interesting because, you know, I I think back on my days in school, and I, I specifically remember, like, one guy committed a murder on school property so of course the police showed up and dealt with it. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cut and dry. There's a murder has been committed. You bring in you bring in the police. It's mm-hmm. no longer a school matter. But uh, but we see this uh, this disturbing national trend in which you have um, you have schools turning to police who are then arresting kids for minor infractions. So so you end up treating the students more like criminals and less like students, even for the little stuff. So they're getting the stigma of criminal instead of just mere uh you know misbehavior uh leveled at them. Uh in many cases they're being they're they're getting thrown out, they're being sent back to places of stress and disadvantage, which again is crazy since the school should be a place of hope, uh, a place a, a springboard, a refuge from uh those those places of disadvantage. And uh and the the, the statistics are pretty uh pretty depressing when you when you uh, when you shake it shake it out along these lines for instance 70% of students involved in in school arrest are referred to law enforcement uh, and referred to law enforcement are black or latino and uh, by the way 68% of all males in state or federal pr- prison do not have high school diplomas so yeah you just have this disturbing trend where the uh, the student is just treated as a de facto criminal uh, you know almost right off the bat
4: Which is heartbreaking when you think that if that student doesn't have a safe haven at home and -hmm. they don't have a safe haven at school, then they truly are set up for
1: this. And by the way, just to throw some more stats at this uh, from the NAACP nationwide, African-Americans represent 26 percent of juvenile arrest, 44 percent of youth who are detained, 46 percent of the youth who are judicially uh, waived to criminal court and 58 percent of the youth admitted to state prisons. And we see another uh, disturbing trend with foster care. Again, another um, area where ideally there should be a lot of hope. This should be about uh, uh, children getting a, a, a leg up uh, on society, on their lives. Uh, but instead we see some very disturbing uh, trends. Black and Latinos make up 50% of children in the foster care system. 30% of foster care youths entering the juvenile uh, justice system are placement related behavior cases. 25% of young people leaving foster care will be incarcerated within a few years of turning 18. And 50% of young people leaving foster care will be unemployed within a few years of turning 18. Uh, and then uh, an even more startling uh, figure here, uh, and this comes from uh, Community Coalition, a South uh, L.A. nonprofit, um, a startling 70% of inmates in California state prison are former foster care youth. So you see that direct funnel from the foster care system into criminal and and, and into the the, the prison system.
4: And again, it's telling this story that this is one of the least supported segments Mm -hmm. of society, right? So if you have marginalized communities of color and you have foster care kids, they are not getting the support, the safe haven that they need. And this kind of stigmatization actually begins shockingly early, in fact, in preschool because One of the things that the survey found from the Department of Education uh, that while black children make up 18 percent of preschool enrollment, close to half of all preschool children who are suspended more than once are African-American. And Letitia Smith-Evans of the UCLA, in an interview with the New York Times, said about this, quote, It's incredible to think about or fathom what pre-K students could be doing to get suspended from schools.
1: Yeah, indeed. It just it boggles the mind. I mean, I've been watching preschooler and younger age kids, and there's – what are they doing that requires drastically different uh, disciplinary action?
5: watch what you want when you want immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4k picture and sound for every budget with sizes for every room find your perfect phillips roku tv today online or at your local walmart and sam's club hi i'm antonia blythe and this is 20 questions on deadline
0: joining me today is allison Bree.
3: 2025 QX80 coming this summer.
4: All right. We, there is no you know, magic silver bullet here that we can point to that says it is the reason for why the system is the way it is. But one of the contributing factors is something called zero tolerance. Now, this is a policy that was put into place after the 1999 Columbine High School massacres. It's a, basically a bunch of policies that escalated infractions among the student body. And it was never intended uh, to be misused, but certainly this is what has happened over the years. According to Amanda Mercati, writing for Slate Magazine, quote, students, especially students of color, are hit with outrageous and disproportionate disciplinary measures in the school system. And this is what is contributing to those higher rates of in-school arrests, expulsions, and suspensions.
1: Yeah, I mean, in this, you just you're seeing a situation where, in, out of a, a time of fear and and in particular cases, a time of need for advanced, uh, more powerful tools to deal with uh, with threats, um, you you end up uh, having the tool chest opened uh, for abuse. You, you you know, you see this pretty much uh, in any area of life, right? When you end up giving. Um, law enforcement or government or any kind of power, uh, more power to deal with a scenario, then what happens when they want to use those powers uh, just across the board?
4: Yeah, absolute power absolutely corrupts. And we discussed this a bit, too, in our uh, episode on the Panopticon, yeah. which has definitely some other uh, similar threads flowing through it.
1: Indeed. Now, another uh, another theory uh, as to uh, what's going on here uh, comes down to standardized tests. Um, some critics blame the educators. The accusation accusation here being that they push out students who score lower on standardized tests in order to improve the school's overall test scores. And if there's a, if there's an educator in your life, then you've probably uh, you've probably heard plenty about what standardized tests. Bring to the teaching scenario what the pr- various pros and cons are, and uh, and here the argument is that the um, you know the, the cart ends up uh, pulling the horse uh, instead of the test being this measuring st- stick for what the students are doing and being about uh, you know gauging the students, helping the students. It ends up be- being a situation where you're you're culling the herd with the, with the whole mindset being based around the performance of the test. So you end up racially culling the um, Uh, the student population, in order to achieve higher test scores for that school. Everything's just completely backwards.
4: Right, because the school would like to purge those test Mm -hmm. scores, right? And, And that way, the students are purged from the student body just so that they can rise their numbers and look all clean and squeaky, unfortunately. Yeah. Now, another factor in play is something called implicit bias. In the Kerwin Institute's paper on this, they define implicit bias as the mental process that causes us to have negative feelings and attitudes about people based on characteristics like race, ethnicity, age, and appearance. Because this cognitive process functions in our unconscious mind, we are typically not consciously aware of the negative racial biases that we develop over the course of our lifetimes. So, of course, in a perfect world, administrations, school administrations, And students and teachers would all understand this and be aware of this implicit bias and be able to to bring this awareness to the classroom and the way that they behave and they dole out disciplinary measures, but this doesn't exactly happen. For example, a 2003 study found that students who displayed, quote, a black walking style were perceived by their teachers as lower in academic achievement, highly aggressive, and more likely to be in need of special education services. In addition, a 2007 meta-analysis of research found statistically significant evidence that teachers hold lower expectations, either implicitly or explicitly or both, for African-American and Latino children compared to European-American children. And this is something that we touched upon when we talked about um how we behave toward one another and the sort of expectations that we communicate, uh, even non-verbally mm-hmm. and how that child will absorb that. And then actually it will become a self fulfilling prophecy.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's the basis of stigma. You end up attaching stigma, you end up attaching, uh, uh titles and expectations to these students. And then they, they, uh, they, they, match the form. So the acute, the cumulative effect here is, is pretty devastating. Um, you have this uh, disproportionate, you have this disproportionate disciplinary action in place, and so the students that are affected they end up falling behind in their classes. You know, in the in some of the better scenarios, right? Uh, and in the worst scenarios, they're suspended, they're shuffled off to separate classes, etc. And this leads to higher dropout rates. Uh, you know. And uh, and also those uh, the subsequent higher unemployment and imprisonment rates imprisonment rates that we've already discussed. So this leaves Black and Latino students two times less likely to graduate high school than their white peers. So again, you see the the, the pipeline in place here, where uh, these kids end up falling through the cracks and. Uh, and then are far more likely to wind up in the uh, in the prison system.
4: And just to bring this down to an individual level, too, I'm sure everybody out there has had that teacher that nurtured them. Oh, yes. That that really fostered their abilities, who saw something in them. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you you acted accordingly. Right. You rose to the occasion. Um on the opposite end of the spectrum, I'm sure everybody also has had that one teacher that they thought had it out for them, mm-hmm. that they kind of maybe shied away from. Maybe uh, even in class, your body language changed and you tried to make yourself invisible because mm-hmm. you felt like that teacher didn't have a lot of confidence in you. Now, imagine that that was the the, the majority of your experience and how that would color your perception of the world and your own abilities.
1: Yeah, you end up with just a situation where the again the deck is stacked from the start.
4: Now this uh, this sort of school to prison pipeline doesn't exist solely in the um, the population of children of color. Uh, recently, I had volunteered with a fantastic group here in Atlanta called Vox Teen, and it was a day in which. Um, the girls were exploring sex and sexuality. And my group was dealing with gender equality, but also LGBTQT equality. And there were some representatives from Georgia Equality, and they talked a lot about the school to pipeline uh, problem with the LGBTQT community. And it turns out that there are a lot of parallels here.
1: Yeah, indeed. LGB youth, particularly gender nonconforming girls, are up to three times more likely to experience harsh disciplinary treatment by school administrators than their non-LGB counterparts. Uh, LGB uh, youth are overrepresented in the juvenile justice system. They make up just 5% to 7% of the overall youth population, but they represent 15% of those in the juvenile justice system. And uh, LGBT youth report significant distrust of school administrators and uh, generally say they don't believe that the school officials, officials do enough to foster safe and welcoming, welcoming school climate. So, again, you have a situation where, for many of these students, they don't feel, they don't feel, feel supported. They don't uh, feel safe, even, in, uh, in, in these school environments. And it ends up you know, being a failure of the school as a, as a safe haven, as a launching pad, as a, as a place of hope.
4: Again, because uh, you know the the administrations and some of the teachers and again not all but some mm-hmm. of them carry with them certain biases and that colors their perception of that kid and so if that kid is is doing something, then it can be uh, grossly misperceived as this even sort of grotesquerie of their behavior when, in fact, the kid wasn't doing anything. Right. Um, again, the punishment doesn't always correlate with the actual misbehavior. or any. It may not even be misbehavior. So we wanted to bring this topic to you guys today. Again, we know it's not a light and airy one, but we thought that you would appreciate it because this is uh, – this is a huge problem uh the prison population we mm-hmm. we are responsible for the largest prison population in the world and in order to drill down into that and try to figure out why you have to look at schools
1: yeah i mean certainly there are other um uh, other parts of the problem you can get into the um the privatization of prisons et etc but this is a major component and um uh, and his uh you know, it's it's not pleasant information, but particularly if you're if you're a citizen of the United States, I feel like it's it's really important to, to have some of these facts uh, bouncing around in your skull. And as we get into um, greater discussion of uh, of how racial bias works in the brain in a subsequent episode. Um, you know, it's important to have this to call back to because it's easy to sort of fall back on, oh, well, you know, implicit bias that just relates to how I, uh, you know, how I interact with, um, you know, a person of another race on the elevator or something. Uh, it's, it's good to, but it's good to, to remember that there are far larger, uh, overreaching, um, issues in play.
4: That are shaping children right now exactly. in classrooms and their future behavior and their future successes and failure.
1: All right, so there you have it. Um, again, uh stay tuned for another episode uh coming up uh that's going to really get into racial uh racial bias and how that works uh with with the human mind and you know how we can approach it as individual humans. Uh in the meantime, if you would like to check out more of our content, past episodes, uh etc, videos, uh anything you like, you'll find them at com. That is the uh the homepage, the mothership and uh, that's where you'll also find uh, links out to social media accounts that we uh, handle.
4: And if you guys have any first-person experiences you would like to share with us, we hope you do so. And you can email us at BlowTheMind at For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit
0: HowStuffWorks.com.
3: Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury.